Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast, given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, a red shot ninja. (laughs) And joining us tonight, he is the director of the 2019 Fright Fest selection, Sadistic Intentions. It's Mr. Eric Penikoff. Eric, hello. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Hey, uh, (laughs) thank you. Uh, So we've been trying to do this for a little while, and we settled on kind of now to be the time to do it, and you made it count with your film selection. My God, did you? <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're talking Mortal Kombat, not the first one, but the uh, <laughs> the, the much underappreciated Annihilation, the follow-up two years later. 1997's Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So come on, tell us a little bit about, uh, explain <laughs> yourself. <laughs> tell us okay. a little bit about why you picked well, it. So, I mean, if you're a Mortal Kombat fan, you at least like it because it follows a uh, storyline and has more characters in it, like Mortal Kombat 3. You've got, uh, you know, you've got robots, you've got a, a lot of the things that went into the video games that you didn't have in the first one. Before we jump into that, look, I just want to talk a little bit about John Leonetti and the DP, who is his brother, yes. Matthew Leonetti. This little breakdown I'm going to give here, I think, will set a precedent for how you can at least look at it as having craft okay. to some degree. Okay, so first of all, we've got the director, John Leonetti. He was the DP on the first Mortal Kombat two years prior, but Annihilation is his first time directing a film. But prior to all of that, he was a DP on none other than... Okay, so he's a DP on Child's Play 3, Hot Shots 2, Tales from the Crypt, two of my favorite episodes, Cutting Cards, and De- Death of Some Salesmen, okay. as well as The Fucking Mask, Jim Carrey. <laughs> okay. And then, he go- and then he goes on to do Mortal Kombat. So so he's a DP, and it's kind of the classic situation where you've got Paul W.S. Anderson doesn't come back for the sequel, and they give the job to the DP. So it's his first time as a director, but he's got some pretty good chops as a DP. So I'll even just say, you know, real briefly, after Annihilation, he goes on to DP Detroit Rock City, Joe Dirt, The Scorpion King, and Dead Silence okay. as a DP. And then as a director, he goes on to direct Butterfly Effect 2 and even Annabelle as more recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mitch, um, uh, a favourite of yours, uh, which you've discussed on the show before, Wish Upon. Oh God, yeah, Wish Upon. Yeah, I did that too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's John. This is his first time directing. He's got good credits as a DP. He goes on to have good credits as a DP and even a couple more as a director. Now, his brother, Matthew Leonetti, who is a DP by trade, you know, a little bit older, has much more, I guess, a longer list of DP credits prior to Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So he's the DP on Annihilation. But before that, he shot Poltergeist, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Weird Science, Commando, Hard to Kill, Extreme Prejudice, Another 48 (laughs) Hours, and even fucking Strange Day. And then after Annihilation, he goes on to DP Species 2, Rush Hour 2, too Fast, Too Furious, my favorite of the Fast and the Furious franchise, yeah. as well as Dawn of the Dead 04 and the Heartbreak Kid. So I just want to get this out of the way. You know, say what you will about Mortal Kombat Annihilation, but they got some fucking talent coming into the movie, at least on the director and DP side. And the movie is lit beautifully. It looks beautiful. The production designer, Charles Wood, I don't think had many credits before Annihilation, but if you look at his rap sheet, he went on to do, you know, a, a bunch of Marvel movies, which aren't necessarily my thing, but it definitely proves that uh, they're still working professionals. Mm-hmm. They have gone on since Annihilation, which is something that unfortunately you can't say about the majority of the cast outside of the stunt performers. True. So yeah, so, you know, going into this movie, there's there's uh, there's real artistry and they've got good taste. I mean, a bunch of those movies, you know, I, I genuinely like and other ones I enjoy watching. It's, it's funny to see Species 2, Rush Hour 2, and Too Fast, Too Furious being, you know, trifecta <laughs> of sequels. So Matthew Leonetti's got a thing for sequels here. Mm-hmm. So look, the movie looks beautiful. And, you know, if you like the video games, you get more characters. The sets are great. And there's a, there's a real eye for, I think, the Mortal Kombat aesthetic. Now, I will say where I think it went wrong, and I won't talk too much about the people involved because it's always tough to say exactly where it went wrong with. Sure. But. 
but you know, there's three story writers, or there's three story credits. One of which is uh, Larry Kasanoff, who produced the first one, produced mm-hmm. the second one. Uh, he was in with James Cameron prior to this, and is still you know pumping out stuff. And then you know him, two other story credits, and then two writer credits. And you know, don't have to go through their credits exactly, but if you look at their IMDb, you'll see things like lots of Lego movies and Lego episodes and things. So let's just say that this is definitely a classic situation of it was probably rushed into development, rushed into production, and it's a bit of a shit show between writers and story producers and producers themselves looking to just kind of pump together, you know, something similar to the first one, but with twice as much action characters, which is what we love about it. But it's not, you know, it doesn't have the same amount of story. It doesn't have the same amount of heart as the first one. Definitely not. And I know that there was attempts made to get Paul W.S. Anderson to come back. By that point, he had moved on and he was looking at Event Horizon and they tried to bring back, like, Bridget Wilson as Sonya. That didn't work out. And Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they killed, you know, you know fucking uh, Lyndon Ashby they couldn't even get him to come back as Johnny Cage. I presume that Johnny Cage is killed because they could not get him to come back. <laughs> yeah. And they they didn't want to have more actors than they already did playing different characters <laughs> throughout the entire thing. Which which is strange because I think as a kid I didn't realize that James Remar wasn't Raiden to begin with. It wasn't until I saw it later in life and knew I think who he was from other films that I right. realized Oh, that's a different rating. Well, again, Christopher Lombardi, I think there was some... He was interested in doing it, but he was away doing something else as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think they did what they could with what they had. The little bit that I've researched, I think it was Lyndon Ashby, who, you know, did a lot of 80s action movies, said that he basically read the script and it was a fast no right away. (laughs) (laughs) An easy pass. And along with, with, you know, the original Sonya Blade as well. You know, I think there were a few people, which, you know, bless the people that did come back. You know, got two, two pivotal characters you know Luke Kang Katana that decided to carry it through which mm-hmm. you know, I think they're really great actors I think they do a good job and you know sustaining the disbelief of the world and all these things that it's it's good to have a couple of the principles come back funny thing I had read uh, in some trivia that apparently in the original script to Annihilation Nightwolf is written in the script as wearing a Stone Temple Pilots t-shirt and rocking Oakley sunglasses <laughs> wow <laughs> so just to kind of backtrack and say that you know I really can't fault the Leonetti brothers or anyone else other than probably Larry Kasanoff and the rest of the producers that were looking to cash in on the current Stone Temple pilots and the Oakley Sunglass <laughs> yeah. There is There is a earnest attempt made to make all the characters look as close to the game as humanly possible. Right. Eric, before we get started and properly getting into the meat of this thing, we do make everyone that comes on the show do one thing. You are no exception. People may be listening to this show and this episode that haven't seen Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So, uh, for their benefit, Andy's going to put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in, and what I'm going to ask you to do is give us your best 30-second synopsis of Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. All right, Annihilation picks up moments from where the first one ends. Half the cast is different. Uh, the, rules have, the rules have changed. The, termina- ter- uh, the tournament's no more. Shao Kahn shows up with extermination squads, uh, kills Johnny Cage, pisses off a bunch of people, bunch of shit randomly uh, leads to Raiden closing down the portal, hopping in some balls, send them to the center of the earth. Uh, You've got a fight with Smoke and Scorpion, then you somehow magically appear with Cyrax and Sonya and Jax. Uh, You got some time squad action there. (laughs) Time, Eric, I'm going to have to stop you. That was a a decent effort. Well, those first two fights kind of are the best ones, especially when you get the the robots in there, you're excited. You definitely deserve to be commended for trying to burn through as many beats as possible. Well, I realized that when I was watching it last night again, is like, it really does fucking jump all over. There is no logic to how it gets from one moment to the next. I mean, you know, I presume they probably shot some footage of Raiden and Sonya in their, you know, magma ball shooting through the center <laughs> of the earth, but then they appear at a place where they're getting jacks and there was no setup for that. And then they kind of all reconvene after the Molina fight, which is still confuses me what that monster is that yeah, sure, yeah. tries mm-hmm. to attack. It's literally, you know, I'd have to see what year Spawn came out, but it's Spawn level C. CGI at yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah, it's, yeah. So go- it's so goddamn awful. <laughs> <laughs> Jax is like punching the CG thing, but then that thing reappears later and kills Jade, and Jade isn't black, she's Asian in this, and that's just a weird choice. There, and... are, there are some interesting <laughs> choices in general with, with uh, ethnicities. <laughs> ethnicities, yeah. Also, worth mentioning is uh, the, the this film takes place over the course of six days, uh, although there is little to no effort made to track that. 
in any way, shape, or form. Genuinely, if you told me that the events of this film played out over a period of 18 years or six hours, I believe you. It makes no sense. I also love how randomly when he wakes up from his dream after getting knocked out by Nightwolf, somehow when he discovers his animality, it's snowing, but then when Jade tricks him, suddenly she makes the snow go away. I, I don't understand what snow has to do with this psyched-out dream state that he comes out of before he has to fight her. <laughs> there, there is some incredible elasticity with all of the logic and all of the rules, pretty much. Um, so I hadn't seen this before until we watched it tonight. I had seen the original, but not since I was very, very young. So I familiarized myself, or re-familiarized myself with the events of the first one, although I didn't need to do that because we, did get, we do get a previously on at the start. Sure, yeah. 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 Important. <laughs> well, you get to get the voiceover in there. It lets you know this is a sequel. It's two years later, probably <laughs> twice the budget. All the stakes have changed. The tournament doesn't mean shit. Mm -hmm. three, three of the cast members are different people, and we just got to go with it. Yep. Throws you right into the, uh, the Outworld invasion of Earth. The celebrations from the end of Mortal Kombat are cut short by the arrival of a whole new bunch of weird CG creations. You've got Shiva there with all the arms, and you've got Motaro, the horseman, <laughs> Ermac, the quiet red ninja. There's a lot going on in the background too because you've got Ermac but Ermac is never referred to as Ermac you've got Rain who is referred to as Rain but he gets fucking killed like the second he's in the scene yep. and then you do have uh, Noob Saibot who comes out of Ermac but sure. he's never referred to her as Noob Saibot I mean these are all you really do gotta love the video games to have any sort of patience for this movie I am a, I have reasonably good memories of Mortal Kombat 1 and 2 and not that much after that right Um, I have never seen a film that is so keen to throw as many characters as you as possible and be so disinterested in introducing any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect way to say it. <laughs> but yeah, Shao Kahn descends and announces that um, in the ring style, humanity will die in seven days. Sure, and, and Shao Kahn now, uh, he's played by that guy that plays the big muscly alien guy from the X-Files. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he's. I had to look him up because I, I knew it. He's, you know, he's gone on to play some heavies in, in movies, smaller movies since then. But yeah, he seems to be someone who's still around. But, you know, a lot of that cast, and a lot of the cast is played by stunt performers. And I think it's the guy that plays Cyrax also plays plays Ermac, also plays Scorpion. I mean, the, the little bit that I heard about this movie, they had, you know, multiple sets and units being run at the same time because this thing was just in such a rush to get out. Mm. I, I really do fault probably just planning and development and production for the for the sort of the outcome of this movie more than I can fault, uh, you know, Leonetti or any of the any of the principal crew on it. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. And if I'm going to offer up any kind of praise for this film, I would say that this one, more so than the first one, feels like a video game yeah it does it's it's illogical like a video game yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's completely disinterested with physics or uh, how normal people move or talk well, there's some you know there's some great stunts though i gotta say that cyrax fight when she grabs him by the shoulder pads and gives him the foot in the chest and flips him over and he flies into the pipes you know i even watching it last night i'm looking at some of the movies saying okay i kind of i can how they pulled that off but there's still some stunts and still some moves that were you know impressive um, I just wish that Cyrax's green net looked a little cooler than that fucking little <laughs> shit. That literally, that shit that shoots out of his chest looks like an amalgamation of the DNA strand that talks to you in Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's like this weak, this weak little green, you know, mist that shoots out that yeah. is, you know, eats someone's body alive. Yeah, it's pretty apologetic. Um, <laughs> I can't, I can't remember who it is that says it. Someone says basically, "Oh, wasn't the portal closed at the conclusion of the last Mortal Kombat?" And someone says, "What is closed can open again." And what I like about that is that it just in, <laughs> literally in one six-word sentence completely erases the stakes of the first film. Absolutely, well, yeah. they're, they're genuinely confused. I mean, the whole thing with the elder gods when he goes to approach them—it's like every everything that they think they have under control is uh, sort of thrown out the window, which I do appreciate. It is sort of a grim sequel to that extent. Mm -hmm. Oh, very, very much so. I mean, it's pretty bleak right up until, I would say, the final moments when it becomes nice and sunny again and we're back in the real world. When the purple sky goes away? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So but basically when all these kind of bad guys turn up, uh, our heroes do what they do and they just basically run away, which I think smart. <laughs> I find it really unsettling to watch Raiden running. Like, he... Well, <laughs> And he's got that, you know, he's got the short hair, and then you see Shao Kahn totally devastating the scene in the beginning, and then suddenly he's just riding a horse through the desert, 
chasing after them, like making the walls of the temple explode and just nearly misses them as they break away into the portal. But like even earlier than that, after the first kind of interaction when they, they make their way into the kind of catacombs and into this weird ball maze that seems to exist in the core of the earth. Um, the interchange. The interchange. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. The center of the center of the earth interchange. <laughs> Lean hard to the left so we make this tiny little hole and don't die. <laughs> But um, wait, Raiden's extremely slow on his feet and out of breath quite a lot of the time, and I think <laughs> for a god, that's pretty bad. I don't think we should burn past the fact that in this first exchange, in what might be a shock to fans of the game, obviously, uh, Johnny Cage is very abruptly killed here. Yeah, yeah like, um, in the middle in the middle of the struggle, uh, someone I forget who grabs Johnny Cage, kind of threatens, like, and Raiden basically says that he does not negotiate with terrorists, and uh, <laughs> sure. Johnny Cage is killed. <laughs> But Shao Kahn just kills him, kills him, kills him dead. It's a brutal beginning, and I, I really wish Lyndon Ashby, even though he didn't want to do the movie, I wish he would have come on just to be killed right away. Because that is, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Johnny Cage, and I, I really, I'm a fan of both movies, but the first Mortal Kombat was really kind of a, an eye-opener for me in terms of just loving movies and thinking about maybe eventually wanting to do something involved in the making of this. But to see him die right away, pretty brutal. Yeah, it's a gutsy move. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the Leon, the uh, yeah, all Leonettis aren't fucking around right there. <laughs> no man, that's like Jaws four and the start of Jaws four and Brody's dead. That's yeah. huge. <laughs> There's great set pieces though. You know, the center of the earth interchange. The set, I do like the sets. Even Shao Kahn, the interior of that castle is pretty beautiful. With you know a lot of the purple shaft light and the yellow kicker coming in on the side of everyone's face. The cage that Katana's being held captive in. The, <laughs> the set, the sets and the the concept design. I think really it reminds me a lot of Mortal Kombat 3 I don't know if, if you remember Mortal Kombat 3 a lot of the loading screens where you have like the purple skulls and mm -hmm. purple skeletons sort of stacked on top of each other and you have the Mortal Kombat logo I do feel like the aesthetic of the video game is well represented in the sequel yeah I would say I would say that I would say that that's fair I have a I have a question there's something <laughs> that goes on here that I that I can't pin down so at the start we obviously we meet Katana but we also meet her mother Sindel. Sindel, right. who is um, one of the kind of like air quotes bad guys. Immediately after this, so they talk about kind of what the stakes are and what needs to happen. And at one point, Raiden, I believe, says that if Katana is reunited with Sindel, the portals will close. Help me, just in general. Sindel very much appears to be a bad guy who sure. yeah. Yeah, she is. hates yeah. her daughter. What is happening here? She claims her mother's dead. So, but somehow Sindel's been resurrected. Yes, correct. Okay. And I believe there's a question of reconciliation, Mitch, more than reuniting. Right. Right. I think it's more uh, if you can put the past behind you. And, With uh, her mother, is maybe three years older than her. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she's got a grey streak in her hair, so it's all forgiven. <laughs> um, okay, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more with it now. Raiden also mentions at this point that the realms will begin to merge. Sure. Something yeah. else that something else. One of the many spinning plates. <laughs> <laughs> the Golden Gate Bridge coming out of the ground. The Twin Towers. All yeah, yeah. CGI mats in the background slowly arising from the earth. Do you know what I really like? I really like the relationship between uh, Shao Kahn and his father Shinnok. Um, where basically he just comes across as this really petulant teenager who's like got this kind of domineering dad who's like, look, you can take over the universe when you finish the gardening. I like that dynamic between them. No, it's an interesting part about that dynamic, which, you know, give credit to the story, whether this came from the story department or the writing department, which I didn't really notice till last night, is that, you know, he comes in, we meet his dad, and he's scolded by his dad <laughs> for not killing Raiden, for basically letting Raiden get away. Mm -hmm. And then Shao Kahn feels like shit. He goes and he pouts to his bedroom. <laughs> but then later, <laughs> later on, Later on, when he enters the room as, uh, as Montaro and all of them are bragging about how many people they've killed, you've got Rain, who mentions Stryker and Cabal, and Shao yeah. Kahn goes, well, did you kill them? He goes, no, no, we have them held captive. But basically, Rain did the same thing Shao Kahn did. And then he goes and kills Rain. So you got the, you do have this interesting, like, you know, he takes out his aggression on Rain for essentially doing the same thing, but not being scolded himself. Yeah, fair, that's a fair assessment. Um, 
<laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to give some credit to the story department here. I was gonna say <laughs> you're digging in hard on that. <laughs> no, I, I noticed that last night. He basically punishes his reign for the same thing that he did that his father scolded him yeah. for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Raiden kind of delegates multiple tasks to people, and um, <laughs> uh, at this point, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. At this point, I'm already baffled by the stakes and what they are. And at this point, they split up, and <laughs> the storyline branches into all of these subplots that necessitate an unbelievable amount of map zigzags. Yeah, sure. So uh, Sonya's away. She's on a revenge mission now. She has her eye set on vengeance for Johnny Cage. Mm -hmm. Liu Kang has been sent to meet with Nightwolf for some reason. Uh, for his three trials but there's only two of them and uh, Raiden uh, just seems to be kind of running around elsewhere he, well he's going to go negotiate with the Elder Gods of course he is he's trying, he's trying to get a free haircut <laughs> So yeah, uh, Liu Kang and Katana is the first story that we really kind of focus on. Uh, we take a brief detour into romantic subplot town before they are set upon by Nightwolf, correct? Yeah. No, they're set upon by... No, it's, it's the smoke. They, they go through the center of the earth and they end up in... Well, we have this... You know... A shot of the magma of the center of the earth and the camera floats up and suddenly we go through what I presume is dry ice into the smoke slash scorpion set. Sure, yeah. The scorpion and smoke are our first kind of real baddies. Then we also get a brief, all too brief, I think, introduction to Sub-Zero, who is the son, or no, the brother of the, the Sub-Zero killed in the first film. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he takes that very well, considering he's face-to-face -face with the man who <laughs> killed his brother. <laughs> Well, he says uh, something about two days ago, Smoke was programmed to come after me, or was sent to kill me, but reprogrammed to come after you you or something like that. So maybe he feels indebted to come save the two of them. I don't know. <laughs> well, he's really keen to help, and he does that by making a bridge out of ice. That's, his con yeah, that's really his contribution to everything that does. follows. Yeah, that's a pretty wicked bridge of ice. Does he die? Do we see him die? No, all he really mentions is Nightwolf, and then suddenly we're in the middle of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> this, it, really, it, it's, it really is the jump from place to place the only time you see characters going from one place to another is when they're traveling through the center of the earth yeah yeah, yeah. that's true, true which would have been a great way if, they, if every scene had been tied together with center of the earth traveling like a buddy cop movie where they're just casually talking inside of the spinning ball trying to make the <laughs> I, I would also <laughs> good I would also quite have liked a spinning ball and day five, yeah. just to give us an idea of the stakes and how close we're getting to Annihilation. I mean, Annihilation starts the second the movie starts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. The, the movie does kind of, you know, blow its load to an extent in the opening scene. Yeah, yeah it's, that's not unreasonable. Um, Scorpion and Sub-Zero fight here, which yeah. doesn't really need to happen, but is a comfortable piece of fan service. Sure, and Scorpion teleports as he does in the game. Grabs Katana and then teleports out again, and that is Scorpion's involvement come to an end as well. That's all we've got. That's all the Scorpion there is. And then from there, is it just Nightwolf? Uh, from there, uh, Raiden and Sonya emerge from some foliage in front of a <laughs> in front of a destroyed <laughs> right, right. medical facility. And he goes the other way, and she goes in. He says, "I'm going to leave you to this with the people falling from the sky." <laughs> Raiden is great at leading a horse to water and fucking off in this film. I he? think Raiden is concerned by his newfound mortality and would rather just kind of take a back seat. That's true. He does put it out there that he has no powers now. Yeah, that's yeah. He does. He he gets that out there. He gets that out there. He gets that on the scoreboard pretty quick. Seconds after entering this medical facility, Sonya is reunited with Jax, her old partner, who uh, is all too. I mean, he is really our comic relief from this point on <laughs> looking at previous films we've done Mitch he's our Ernie Hudson in Congo he's our Ice Cube in Anaconda <laughs> yeah sure he's our funny black guy and he talks about having these new cybernetic limbs which he says he's put on himself and my question is <laughs> That seems like it's going to be footery, like a really awkward thing to do. Right, right. <laughs> but it all builds towards the end, which we don't have to talk about yet. Oh yeah, you his know. redemptive arc. He, the, he that's his arc. The, the arc is his arms. <laughs> um, the arc is in the arms. They're on, uh, they're on their way out here and they get impeded, set upon by, I want to say, Cyrax? You're correct, sir. Uh, also, more uh, ninja red shirts are dispatched. I love the I lo the fight that happens here is amazing. I think that Jax misses multiple opportunities to land a death blow and kind of excessively show before he gets his arm stuck in a wall. <laughs> there is a lot of showboating in just about every fight. Yeah, quite flamboyantly choreographed. You look, you look, Cyrax looks awesome. I think Smoke looks awesome. Honestly, it's weird because I feel like the ninja costumes in this movie, 
even Shao Kahn's fucking rubber looking skull mask that he wears, which is so god awful. Oh, it's terrible. I feel like the, I feel like the costume quality just went down compared to the first one, but I do think they did a good job on the robots. But what I was going to say though, I mean, this film cost thirty million dollars, right? And it made fifty one million, so I mean, it did better than I think perhaps it deserves on rewatch. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a decent amount of money here. I believe it took number one at the box office that weekend, which we'd have to see what it was up against, I suppose. <laughs> Wasn't Anaconda out run up at the same time as well? The first one's 97, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Sonya and Jax escape, their leaping from the explosion is in my top three <laughs> favorite moments in the whole film. The random jump from the from the detonator on Cyrax to the to the fucking shittiest jump forward I've ever seen. It is, uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Man, <laughs> so Cyrax gets barbecued, Jax tells some more jokes, and then a small weird dragon emerges from Cyrax's corpse, at which point, Mitch, you were like, what the fuck is going on here? We never really know what those... They, they, it's a visual repetitive motif, but we never really know what those tattoos mean. Oh, so this, this film assumes a preposterous amount of knowledge from the casual viewer. Yeah, like the fact that centaurs are known for their hunting skill. <laughs> yeah. When he's trying to claim why he should be the general. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that scene, that's another scene that I find extremely difficult to, to deal with. Like, someone needs to get some order. <laughs> Next up, we join Liu Kang again, who has found his way to the desert. He's immediately attacked by a camera. <laughs> the, wolf, the wolf cam. <laughs> yeah. It's here that we meet Nightwolf. It is, yeah, yeah. Littlefoot in the infamous Indian in the Cupboard. Oh, really? It's, yeah, it's the Indian in the Cupboard. Holy shit, I'd completely forgotten about that film. Yes. <laughs> Still manages somehow to feel culturally insensitive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, imagine if he was wearing a Stone Temple Pilots t-shirt as well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, he he, uh, he knocks out Liu Kang here, who has a really intense hallucination where loads of people call him a failure. <laughs> <laughs> I like. Well, you know, he, he's you know, there's the easy way and there's the hard way. Which I wanted to know what the easy way was. Is that just basically giving him herbal tea and waiting for him to fall asleep on his own? <laughs> the, the hard way is knocking him out with a spirit axe, which is way more visually interesting. But I just want to know what this easy way is that yeah. he refers to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I also think that um, in the dream where he's being repeatedly told to find your animality, I keep on thinking that, that sounds like a slogan for an energy drink. <laughs> I would drink the hell out of that. <laughs> That's like that uh, Minotaur thing from uh, role models. But yeah, he wakes up in the company of a semi-naked woman, Jade, that's also snowing. And then he is uh, propositioned quite heavily and he seems pretty into it. And my question... Oh yeah, yeah, I guess that wouldn't be too uh, out of the realms of reality. This turns out to be a test of his focus and uh, she kind of tries to seduce him. He spurns her. She takes that pretty badly. <laughs> yeah, he fell for the booty trap. Maybe we can say that much. <laughs> well, no, he doesn't. He uh, shows here his love for Katana is stronger than all. Like, he, I mean, he is quite harsh and is rebutting her in such a way. But uh, yeah, she now appreciates his love. He's passed the second of his trials, which we only know about because we looked them up. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't know he had three set trials. Yeah, that, that passed me by until I was desperately trying to get my ducks in a row on the plot beat before we started talking about this. And um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I watched the film took eight pages of notes and also read the wikipedia plot summary just just to try and shore up any gaps i th- i honestly i think that the story beats or the internal plot logic here is uh the less you know is the more that you know yeah. and uh <laughs> what's 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 the quickest way to get larry kasanoff paid on this production here yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely we get a very brief uh, kind of look at katana who's obviously now in the giant cage thing you mentioned earlier and then off to Sonya and Jax, who talk about the realms merging. Yeah, can I just quickly mention, I don't I don't like seeing Shao Kahn walking around with it. I don't like his mask, right? I think they could it's have done horrible. a much better, they could have done a far better job there. Um, but I don't like seeing him walking around in his t-shirt. I find that really, really weird, knowing what you know about the character and, yeah. and the kind of lore. It does have a casual Friday in the bad guy's hideout vibe, doesn't it? It does. He's got it's, one... the tree, it's, it's the tree for it. Yeah. yeah, he's got like a muscle shot and jogging trousers on. He is very frightening at the tail end of the first Mortal Kombat when he's just in the sky. And then with Annihilation, it's like as brutal as the beginning of Annihilation is moments later, he's this scrawny guy wearing like a spirit Halloween mask. Terrible, terrible. They turn them into a petulant teenager. <laughs> All tyrants are children though, right? Is that maybe the cyclical lesson that Mortal Kombat Annihilation is pushing forward is that the uh, the most ruthless of tyrants are really just little kids 
kicking and screaming in their in their bedrooms. That is a very astute observation that you are projecting onto this film. I agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this movie requires this movie requires a bit of projection. <laughs> Case in point, uh, your president or prime minister? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, so Sonia and Jax are the next kind of odd couple that we see together uh, turning around. <laughs> and this, I mean, this scene, like you said, Mitch, they're talking about their elms, they're just making their way through the desert. But there's a substrand to this that I cannot shake for the rest of the film. I know where this is going, but carry on. Jax is complaining about needing the toilet, right? And at first I'm going, <laughs> oh, it's gonna be, you're going to rip your dick off with those mechanical arms. But then he starts talking about the fact that he doesn't have access to toilet roll. And then he disappears for quite a long time. <laughs> and I'm thinking, has Jax gone to shit? Because if Jax has gone to shit, I don't want to watch the rest of this film knowing that he either is holding in a shit or he has a dirty ass that he hasn't been able to wipe. That's his motivating factor to get through the rest of the movie. Right? So he, <laughs> to get them. That's, that's, that's his motive. I mean, you're talking about character motivation here. Yeah, to get those arms to fuck. <laughs> to wipe his ass with those arms. <laughs> There's a kind of fairly male gazy section here, I think, as um, Sonya is attacked by Molina, and um, where everything else has been a very straight Mortal Kombat video game style martial arts fight, uh, they mud wrestle. There wasn't a moment like that in the games. No, not that I could recall. Yeah, and just real quick, because I'm, I'm trying to think of the moment, and I think I've got, I think I've got two lines mixed up. It's the scene before when she comes in to free Jax that she mentions something about like they're here to get me, they're here to get you too, and he goes, "What are you talking about? I don't, I don't even know these dudes." <laughs> just the scene after that. What is it when uh, I forget what he says, but she goes. No one told me why Johnny had to die. And he goes, who the hell is Johnny? (laughs) She's always casually referring to Johnny throughout the stint in the desert. And he just has no idea who the hell she's talking about. Uh, Jax returns from shitting behind a tree just in time to knock out a giant stone monster. One of the more egregious pieces of CGI in here, I think. It's so hard to look at it. It it is like the fucking demon in Spawn. I wrote a note later during the the CGI animality battle between Shao Kahn and Liu Kang that I'm not looking forward to that part of the conversation. I was (laughs) I I just wrote a note that says I can't watch this. I was I was cringing. I don't know. I'd have to look at what the peak CGI film of 1997 is to compare it against what the technology could do versus where the money ran out versus, um, you know, how much worse it just looks now that we're watching it in HD compared to when we saw it on VHS back sure. in the day, which, you know, VHS definitely helped a lot of these lesser strong sure. CG yeah. movies blend into the rest of the movie, at least. Well, the biggest films in 1997 were Titanic and Men in Black. Okay. I mean, Men in Black, I mean, the CG has been years. I haven't seen the first one in a while, but I want to say the CG is not so bad in the first Men in Black. No, no. no I'm, I'm, not that I remember. I'm pretty passable in Titanic. Right. Um, at this point, we rejoin Raiden, who is off to see the Elder Gods, who apparently you can just make an appointment with like you do your local counselor. <laughs> it's the salon that he's going to. I swear those Elder Gods are just in there cutting people's hair all day. <laughs> just make an appointment, you get a haircut, and you talk shop. They uh, seem to have very differing opinions on what needs to happen for the portals to close. I want to see a, a barbershop spinoff where it's just Raiden talking to the Elder Gods about the politics and social climate of 1997. Definitely. That's the roundtable I want. <laughs> Do the Elder Gods just generally take on the appearance of elements until they manifest in human form I think so. I don't really know. I'm not sure either. <laughs> While this is going on, basically they tell him that uh, Shao Kahn has to die. That's kind of your kind of end game here. Meanwhile, Kang, Jade, Jax, and Sonya all <laughs> gather together very fortuitously in the kind of desert. I am willing to let slide how unbelievably serendipitous this is just because it's one less strand to worry about when you get everyone together. Right. <laughs> The band gets back together here. Yeah, like putting a team together. He says, do you like my new look? Or is it like my new look? Oh, yeah, when I'm, uh, when uh, Raiden rejoins them. Yeah, incredibly <laughs> incredibly presumptuous. <laughs> Although, of, uh, course we, of course we like your new look. You're James Remar. It's not a <laughs> different actor here. I just want to quickly touch on James Remar versus Christopher Lambert because I think they both have their pluses and their negatives. I hate the fact that anytime Christopher Lambert talks, he talks like that to hide the fact that he's French. <laughs> like, he's so determined to be Johnny America that he has to talk in that horrible affected whisper but I've always liked James Ramar I think there's something quite likeable about him and we talked about that recently when we did Cruising and he's in there Mm -hmm. and we talked about how good James Ramar generally is and I actually think he more than almost anyone else is bringing a kind of air of levity and a little bit 
it's kind of raising the material a little bit, I think. Probably the biggest name in the movie at that time, I would think. I'm pretty sure he has the final credit. That would make sense. Yeah. Uh, so he's opening a portal to the Outworld just now. At Petra in Jordan. So that would make this film filmed at Petra alongside Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so at least the, the Jordanese film board were making bank. For sure. They arrive at the Outworld and at this point, I needed to kind of, I think I needed to try and reground myself in exactly what was going on. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they do arrive at the kind of at, at the Outworld Temple and immediately have uh, some more Ninja Red shirts to fight. Yeah, Jax is now the avatar for the audience because his whole dialogue is just, "What the fuck's going on here? What the fuck? Why and, am I here?" And this is this where we're introduced to the Golden Gate Bridge right here, and they say, you know, we're an hour away from total annihilation or something, something yes. like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Which always confused me a bit. I it probably was only more confusing as I get older because I always thought that essentially what you have between the real world and Outworld is a matrix type of situation where what what you see is not what it actually is but it is what it could be but what it actually seems like is it's like a, like a 50, like a, like a watered down matrix where the outworld is slowly blending with the real world okay i i which I, I, I think the first time i ever saw a matrix i was kind of thinking mortal kombat cuz if i remember correctly that's kind of the way they speak about it in the first one right okay okay yeah. it's not really you know obviously it's not a it's not ironclad exactly what they mean here but it seems like there is a ticking clock where that's what the world will be if they do not right sure sure well there's a fight coming up here that i would like to talk about because i think raiden fights reptile or several versions this of is the we this is the weakest fight in the whole damn movie i would agree yeah guys i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that i don't think a lot of this is james ramar during the course of this fight there's at least three close-ups that they split in there of his face <laughs> where, he, where he's probably standing still and just spinning in a circle so they can kind of match the action <laughs> yeah but the whole thing is shot it looks like on steady cam with a wide angle. And, you know, compared to the first reptile fight in the first Mortal Kombat, which is fucking awesome, you've mm -hmm. got three reptiles with someone who's not James Remar, clearly someone <laughs> half his age. <laughs> and the whole fight lasts about, like, two minutes. Doesn't it end with just, like, their bodies flipping upside down and hitting a wall and suddenly they're dead? Yes. Uh, Raiden punches one of them through the ceiling. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, they're, they're going for some video game geography right there. Sure. Just, I mean, you can do stuff like that in the game. You can punch guys up and they kind of disappear off the screen and then they fall into like the river of acid in the background and stuff like that. So it can be forgiven. In the aftermath of this fight, Sindel shows up unconscious. What happened there? Amazing. She's just there, right? Yeah, but she's already unconscious. You, you see her creeping up. Oh, and then she's on the... That's right, she's on the table. It cuts back and they're like, what happened to her? And, uh, Jax is just like... I crept up on her. And the last time we saw her, she was with Khan doing the uh, the Sindel scream right as they break away into the port. Yes. <laughs> yes, destroying an ancient wonder of yeah. the world. This is this is getting rough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of my favorite moments, I think, personally, Liu Kang at this point goes to rescue Katana, but first he has to fight Baraka, who looks like Sloth's oh. older brother. Oh, Baraka looks I, shocking. This is the worst costume. Oh, hands this, down. The fucking, and you can literally see the blades on his arms, which are constantly retract, or constantly not retracted, so they're out. They're so obviously like foam or rubber, you can just see them <laughs> wiggling. There's no, there is never a sense of danger that there's a sharp object flying either at the camera or Liu Kang. No, no, no. He he has the kind of intimidation level and the grace of like a guy in a dinosaur suit. And there's three of them, right? So we have, we go from three reptiles. This part of the movie is where it really drops off. The three reptiles and then three Barakas for no apparent reason. Mm. Did you ever play a video game, either of you, called... I think it was called Sub-Zero Chronicles? No. Was that the side-scroller adventure yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah. I did. And yeah, yeah. Every enemy is Baraka. Was it? See, that I don't, rem I don't remember enough of it to remember that. It's just like waves upon wave upon wave of Baraka, and it's fucking terrible. Was this before or after Annihilation? Oh, I'm going to say PlayStation 1, so probably 97, 98. wonder if that was a director. I'll say, I wonder if that was uh, put in the movie to appeal to the cult Sub-Zero Chronicles fans or hers <laughs> afterward due to the massive success of the movie. Who I really feel sorry for in all of this is the guy in that Baraka costume. You can tell there's so much extra space in the jaw compared to where the actor's actual face is. Yeah, and his shoulders and his like upper body are all overly padded out and he just looks extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. No wonder they didn't have any kind of rigid blade on him because he would have done someone a mischief. Sub-Zero Chronicles was 97, by the way. 
Oh, well, thank you, Wikipedia. Really? Yeah, just uh, so okay. yeah, just sort of take what you want from that. At this point, another intensely hyped up bad guy is instantly killed when Shiva intervenes and just is immediately crushed to death. Well, something I had read is that I think that there was a bigger fight planned with her, but I think ultimately they were just struggling to choreograph a fight because the suit is a mix of prosthetics and CG. Uh, so I, I think that they struggled to actually pull off a bigger fight, mm. but originally there was one plan to be more than just her getting crushed by the cage. Do you know what I'm going to say, though? I actually didn't mind the appearance of Shiva in this. I thought it looked okay most of the time. Right. Better than the big Goro puppet in the first film. <laughs> yeah, well, it's. I assume if they did do a full-fledged fight with her. You know, you have her jumping around on people a little bit in the beginning, but if they had gone full-fledged fight with her, it might have been as bad as the Montaro fight later on. That you're you're, you're, you're intercutting it with literal Sega graphics. <laughs> kind of feel like they may be quitting while they're ahead on that one a little bit. Yeah, I think they knew they were doomed. Now, Raiden has a crisis of faith around here because Katana and Sindel are reunited. Sindel is still a baddie. Is still a baddie. Jade is also a baddie. Yep, she was in on the con. <laughs> Double-crossed. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so at this point, uh, Raiden, like say, he comes in for a hard time, mostly from Jax, um, <laughs> for, uh, for uh, misplacing his faith in the Elder Gods. <laughs> at this point, I felt so far out there with this. Yeah, I, I really do think the drop-off of this film starts, it basically starts really when Raiden comes back into the picture with that fucking haircut. That's not a bad line in the sand, I don't think. I think that the sense of fun kind of gets hoovered out of it around then, and it is quite a steep drop from there. Well, it, that, it really does feel like at that point they're rushing to get you to the final battle absolutely yeah this is this is kind of clunky fairly bare bones a to b stuff it's like they don't really have a clear path on how they're going to do that how they're going to get us to the end they're kind of making it up as they go on they kind of neuter raiden into this weird character that doesn't seem to know what he's doing has no power just looks like he wants to go home um and it's ultimately <laughs> decided that he's going to take a back seat to Liu Kang fighting Shao Kahn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think Remar knew what he was getting himself into coming in on this movie. No, no, no. Uh, no, no I, I would say that's fair. I would say that was probably the same of a lot of the, the people that were in it. Because I know that Robin <laughs> Shu has since said he absolutely hated it. Yeah. I think it's funny that Raiden kind of comes back and looks so purposeful and then proceeds to do nothing. <laughs> like, like, like in, in, in my notes, I wrote down when he said it was like, it's going to be Liu Kang that does the fighting. I just wrote, uh, Raiden, fresh from retirement, retires. <laughs> We're kind of pulling in towards kind of final standoff territory here because you've got Shao Kahn, Sindel, Ermac, and Mataro right. against your kind of remaining four. They kind of instantly break down into size and weight appropriate subfights. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, this is a this this is a this is a lot. It, it, it is a lot, yeah. But I mean, this all happens after the death of Raiden, of course. Let's not. So we're oh, so Raiden just so that's how fucking confused I am. I watched this movie last night, and literally from the time that they finished the Baraka fight, I cannot remember what happens getting to the final showdown. Uh, so Shao Kahn is Raiden's brother. Uh, right, the right. mysterious dragon tattoos are Raiden's family crest sure. to guarantee safe passage through I want to say portals portals yeah other people the answer to any question in this film which is invariably portals <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is the portals were closed but things that close can be opened and now anything can happen. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, those I think are the key points heading into the final battle. Yeah, yeah, they're brothers, <laughs> further adding to the fucked up dynamic uh, yeah. that this weird family unit has. And Raiden, yeah, he is blasted by Shao Kahn, blasted for considerable distance, miles I would say, mm -hmm. uh, and, right. <laughs> and what could be termed a flawless victory. And yeah, he expires after saying some extremely twee dialogue along the lines of, I'm extremely proud to die a mortal like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just, I feel bad for James Ramar in this moment as an actor. <laughs> I wouldn't feel too bad for him because I'm sure he was happy at that point that he got to just fucking lay down for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, he probably showed up and heard that there was going to be this reptile fight and that he would need to undergo some training and fight three people. He probably said, no, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to throw a wide-angle lens on a Steadicam. You're going to stand really far away, and I'm going to bring you my stunt double for this. <laughs> <laughs> so Sindel fights Katana. Yep. Um, and there's some more really cringy dialogue in here when Katana says something along the lines of my mother's dead. And then I don't know <laughs> if it was badly delivered or badly written, but Sindel's retort is something along the lines of as soon to be will you also my daughter additionally it's like <laughs> what that's like i'm uh, right at the start when she says mother you're alive and she goes too bad you 
will die. I haven't seen the film before, <laughs> but I've seen that line in so many bad dialogue YouTube compilations. There's definitely some Star Wars mythology that they're trying to bring into this movie. Anything definitely. from like, I forget what the line is, but it's even back at the Night Wolf. You know, Night Wolf is essentially Yoda. Let's just put it out. <laughs> yeah, 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 he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, has, he, has, he has to go see Yoda before he can... It's In some ways, as illogical as some of the geography of getting from scene to scene, even in the original Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But um, Mataro's fighting Jax. Yep, and in a powerful metaphor for human tenacity, Jax jetsons his metal arms. <laughs> <laughs> That's the art. There yep. you go. <laughs> and he and Raiden even says he says you don't need those arms like all the what, something about all the strength you have is inside. <laughs> you just want Jax to turn to Remar and go, Remar, shut up! This is your first day on the set here. <laughs> it just it, it, it was all about finding the bionic arms within. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think the lesson here is that we all have bionic arms. <laughs> there's a bionic little bionic arm in all of us. There's a little. We all have bionic minds. <laughs> but we do. Before before we get into this final fight, one of my favorite lines, which I can't remember where it fucking comes in, probably before Raiden takes him into the portal, is Liu Kang turns to them and he goes, "Thanks to you, we've got Khan's extermination squads on our butts." Because <laughs> 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 just uh, Liu Kang just can't curse. He's got he's got to keep it family friendly. <laughs> His hair's preposterous. <laughs> it's really big and really feathered. It looks like the character, though, you know? I guess, yeah. As much as, much as you can tell a 16-bit video game character's hair apart from the rest. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, the final fight, the big ticket fight. Yeah, animalities. <laughs> it's bad. I mean, let's just, the animalities, it's like, you know, bless them for wanting to really get everything in from the video game, but honestly, they should have just turned each other into babies and done the babality fight. <laughs> yeah, we, we did touch on that, Mitch, uh, yeah. when we were watching it. Like, and, and friendship. Men, yeah, f- oh, friendship, not friendship. friendship. Fucking hell. It, it, it's not necessarily that I'm against the inclusion of animalities. Far from it. I can't get my head around the execution. No. That's so bad. And kind of, yeah, Eric, to your point, I think that, like, this is an earnest attempt to cram in as much stuff as possible, and this is probably the most glaring example in this thing of uh, succeeding grasp. Well, they knew people weren't going to walk out of the theater during the final fight, so honestly, they didn't really fucking care at that point. Fair. Already had your money and 90% of your attention. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I, this is a point I just picked up my phone. So we had <laughs> animalities, Liu Kang uh, in dragon form, Shao as a... A Hydra, I wrote. Yeah. It's like a it's a Ghidorah mix, but with like five extra heads. I don't know. <laughs> so this, this spins out for a bit. Then the Elder Gods appear and decree that they've, they've won eight. It's time for Mortal Kombat to settle this thing. Well, no, Shinnok makes an appearance and then it's only when he appears. Who the I hell think. is Shinnok? <laughs> <laughs> Shinnok's the dad. dad. It's the dad. Got you. Okay, okay. It's okay. his dad in the, in the sparkly robe. <laughs> I haven't played a Mortal Kombat game in 23 years. You can't expect me to remember these things. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Shinnok appears, the Elder Gods appear. They lock Shinnok in the prison from Superman. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, I think Shao Kahn becomes mortal? They both fall off the cliff. So you've got this, you know, you've got a CG fucking Sega Genesis style shot of the monsters falling off the cliff. And then it just cuts to both the actors laying in their respective spots, aching in pain. <laughs> so you, you don't even really see, you know, you have them turning into the monsters, but you don't have them turning back. Can I just say this has all been <laughs> over? <laughs> Probably for the best. Sure. <laughs> this has all been over six days, remember, guys? Like, everything we've just discussed. What a week it's been. Uh, <laughs> I mean... I don't have a note of how Shao Kahn dies. He just is. And then uh, Raiden is restored by uh, the cumulative powers of water and fire. And Shinnok gets folded into a cube. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Which is fucking awesome, actually. He gets folded in half. We abruptly return to Earth at this point. In the space of a blink? Yes. Plus, the, you know, I think they shot this in Thailand, and you really got to give credit to these monks for putting up with this oh, fucking fuck production. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just standing there and just... <laughs> You know, be, being the peacekeepers of Earth. You know, they were there at the end of the first, they're at the beginning and end of the first one, but bless them for, for coming back with the sequel. <laughs> Cannot follow them. By the way, there was Those a... locations are great, though. Those temples are beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. There's, absolutely. When you think about it, there's such a huge amount of globetrotting in this film where they actually went to Jordan. They actually went to Thailand. That's wild. There was an agreement between the local government and the production that they, you know, they couldn't really destroy, they couldn't destroy anything 
for obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, maybe that's where a lot of our CG comes in. But I'm pretty sure when Sindel does the does her death scream earlier and it's blowing the walls of the Temple of the Elder Gods apart, that looks like miniatures, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, fucking miniatures, man. I wish it's... They, they have them in the first one. There's a little bit of miniature work in this one, but there's just so much CG background work that I wish they had just taken the time to build miniatures for a lot of the stuff. Agreed. Yeah. Because they look good. They look good when they're done right. For a film that has had so much dark shit in it, they tie things up in an unbelievable array of very neat bows at the end here. Because <laughs> um, uh, it's kind of very heavily hinted at that Liu Kang and Katana might hook up. Sindel's alive again and uh, no longer a... <laughs> dead bitch and she's um, dressed more like a mum she's dressed more like she's, a mum yeah. <laughs> she's dressed far less sexy and far more frumpily and uh raiden also gets promoted to elder god i believe he does yeah yeah <laughs> for doing nothing that's a hell of a promotion if that's not a represented re- representation of american politics right there the guy fucking did nothing and got a job promotion yep yep Luke Hang deserves so much more he has worked his ass off throughout this film i hope Jax is promoted to i don't know Secretary of State or the head of security or something. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the Star Wars kind of thing because this to me is the medal giving ceremony at the end of A New Hope. <laughs> exactly. You got Jax's arms are going to end up in a trash compactor now. Big, <laughs> Jax's big gold arms like shiny C-3PO. <laughs> Or like there's, uh, there's at the end of Short Circuit 2 when Johnny Five's all gold-plated. <laughs> What's the last shot? It's just sort of them walking side by side and it's an abrupt end. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's a way of putting it. Yes, it's very abrupt. I really do feel like if this movie was shot in chronological order, that Kasanoff and the rest of the producers got word right about the time that the reptile fight started, that they were, you know, a week behind schedule and double over budget. So you guys got to hurry up and get this shit done. <laughs> <laughs> But with that, we are, for all intents and purposes, out on Mortal Kombat Annihilation. We are, we're done. We did that in an hour, and the movie's only an hour 24. Yeah, that's not bad. Andy, concluding comment. (laughs) I saw Mortal Kombat in the cinema. I did not see Mortal Kombat Annihilation on the cinema. I got it out of a video shop, and I remember being horrified (laughs) uh, at the quality drop even i mean i mean let's be honest here mortal kombat isn't great either okay i've talked on the show before i'm not a massive fan of paul ws anderson's films but i generally don't think mortal kombat's that great this film i wouldn't really say anyone needs to watch this one and i wouldn't tell anyone to hunt it down or seek it out necessarily but i didn't mind it while we were watching it again as it happens so often with films that we watch my joy comes from you watching things for the first time. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've enjoyed this conversation, and I think I've gotten more out of it now, but I came away from it immediately wondering if, in some ways, it was the worst film that we've ever done. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that my, my stance has probably softened a little bit over the measure of this conversation. Because I, I agree that there is craft in there, but it is an absolute curiosity of a film. It's unbelievably eccentric and made for an unbelievable amount of money right. for yeah. the time. I think that the budget belies what's on the screen. I, 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 I actually... See, against my better judgment, I kind of want to watch it again. Make your case. It's just, just, it, may, it makes less sense as you watch it. <laughs> just, just because like, there's, there's such a long spell in the middle of it where I was completely confounded by so much of it. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's this weird, morbid curiosity that is kind of drawing me back to it to try and pick apart a little more. Um, although it does kind of sound like that might be a fool's errand. <laughs> I just don't see why you would. Uh, Eric, this has definitely been one of the more interesting, one of the more unusual selections that we've had recently. So thank you very much for that. I would not recommend it for anyone that doesn't like the video games. I think that everything from the concept design to you know the cinematography, the lighting, it, it seems like they actually looked at the video game. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think of other examples that come to mind. I know it's a bit of the reverse order because it was a movie first and then a video game, but I feel similarly, at least from my childhood memory, about Goldeneye, the video game, to Goldeneye, the movie. I guess not, not just matching the sets, but like the aesthetic and sort of like the vibe of it. You know, obviously the product is coming in reverse order there. But yeah, I think it's one of the best. <laughs> I can't say it. Look. <laughs> you said it you, you said it perfectly it had a huge budget and you just don't see it on screen which is really 
which is really no one's fault. And you can't point a finger at anyone except for the producers. It really does feel like a movie where the budget was lining the pockets of the people developing and yeah. producing the film more so than Definitely. the mm-hmm. artists on screen, which is unfortunate because I do think that both John Leonetti and Matthew Leonetti, both as DPs uh, and one of them as a director, have skill and they have talent and they have done good work and they've clearly gone on to do good work yeah. and everything down the line from there. I but it, it just it seems like it was rushed. It was just rushed. You know, the, the first one made money and they wanted to make a second one as fast as they yeah. could. Yeah, strike while the iron is hot. I will echo what you said earlier, Eric. I do think that some of the fight choreography is pretty good. And I do think there's some pretty cool wire work and stunt work in there. And I do think some of the sets are very, very clearly built to echo the backgrounds of the game. Yeah. The kind of level, kind of level models. Yeah. But yeah, it's just from a narrative perspective, it's a bit of a mess. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, look, I'll I'll, I'll talk up the, the artistic crew all day but if you start looking at the credits between the producers and the writers it's like it's not, i don't want to don't want to talk too much down on any of that but you know look at the people involved in the story and script and it's it's really written by producers and people that yeah. were you know r- running running the production more so than thinking about what would be the a logical story turn for any of this yeah um eric before we wrap up i think that we should talk a little bit about your film sadistic intention yeah do you want to tell us or tell everybody a little bit about but, yourself there's first? no point telling us because we know oh uh, yeah I I mean, I, like, I, like I, I've like, I, like I've seen it. I think it's great. You want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, I mean, whatever I say is going to feel so tame to my enthusiasm towards Annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the just the the first ten minutes alone of Annihilation that took me thirty seconds to say. I feel like there's so much going on, but. Okay, yeah, so Sadistic Intentions, it's uh, it's a romantic horror thriller about a psychotic musician that lures a fellow bandmate and an unsuspecting stoner buys drugs from him to a mansion to meet them under different reasons. But when these two people show up, the mutual friend is not there, and they're sort of left to, in some ways, endure each other and wait out the arrival of their friend until his gruesome arrival. And there's also a thunderstorm brewing in the background, which is... Uh, really my first go at my love of cinematic thunderstorms which annihilation has plenty of light <laughs> yes it does yeah i yes. yeah, i like no, i'm i'm a bit i really am and i think part of annihilation is also my my love of 90s cinema where you just have you know great lightning effects going on in the background there's always a storm brewing nearby uh cape fear the scorsese remake is another one of my favorites it just has you know between the sky replacement and just vicious uh sound design and sort of punctual lightning strikes is something that is uh, tried to carry continuously throughout sadistic contentions as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, and Mitch and I were talking recently about Jeremy Gardner and how kind of from the battery all the way through to like after midnight and even like little things like popping up in, uh, uh, in spring and yeah, and bliss, just uh, how much we've kind of grown to like Jeremy Gardner as an actor as well as a filmmaker. Um, how did Jeremy get involved? You know, so I was introduced to Jeremy. I was aware of the battery, but I had not seen the battery. So the first thing I actually saw him in was a short film that a friend of mine had directed that had both Jeremy and Taylor in it as well. Right. And I was, I guess you could call it an assistant editor on that film, but more or less, I was just syncing up footage on this production as they shot. And, you know, they shot a lot of takes on this short film. So a lot of my time was just watching the raw footage of Jeremy and Taylor. And that was really where, you know, I was introduced to both of them. Right, and I, yeah. like I said, I had known of the battery, but it was really seeing him out of the context of horror. And obviously there's a lot more going on in the battery than just a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the short film that he was in that I was syncing up footage on was not a horror movie at all. So I was actually introduced to him more as just an, just an actor of a dramatic role. Yeah. And then, you know, about that same time, I want to say is probably when, you know, started talking to him through my friend that had made this other film. And I want to say the mind's eye was coming out around that time okay. as well. And I think that's when he was doing Tex Montana. So there was oh, yeah. just, yeah, yeah, Jerry's always got something going on whether he's writing and directing something of his own or acting in something of someone else's. And it's kind of the Cassavetes thing. It's like, you know, John Cassavetes has always been one of my favorite filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of almost impossible for me to separate the actor from the director. I just look at him as a, a real artist. And that's kind of the way that I've always looked at Jeremy as just someone that, you know, I could I could call that guy up anytime and pitch him on a script that I want him to act in or act for advice on something that I'm writing or just get his thoughts as a director. He's just a tried and true independent filmmaker is really what he is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But then Taylor, you know, Taylor, she was, she was also, she was an intern at Glass Eye Picks 
shortly before this film that she was in with him. And I had interned uh, with Larry at Glass Eye Picks uh, years ago, back in 2010. So there's also a bit of a Glass Eye Picks connection there in terms right, of cool. people sort of circumventing the similar drain, I guess you could say. But yeah, really just a fan. And then I, I want to say it was very shortly after that that I, I backtracked a little bit and saw the battery and thought, okay, right, this guy really knows what he's doing both in front of the camera and behind. And Christian Stella as well, meeting meeting Christian about that same time and sort of seeing what they were what they were doing. They're just uh, there's really real independent filmmakers. Um, Eric, yeah, like I say, I um I watched Sadistic Intentions this week. I think it's I think it's great. It played Fright Fest this year. Was it your first time over? That was my first time at Fright Fest. Yes, first time in London as well. Ah, how'd you find it? Fucking awesome, man! That was uh, <laughs> that, that was a week full of lots of drinking and eating and just having a good ass time watching really good movies. There were a uh, really, really great movies there this year, and being my first time there, checking out both the Prince Charles and Cineworld. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, it's fucking crazy. Also, I mean, the place that I that my wife and I stayed at was essentially uh, it was a flat right behind Cineworld, that little alley behind the theater. And I don't think I realized uh, when, when we booked where we were staying that I was essentially going to be staying in the fucking busiest part of London. I would assume. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. especially it's that weekend. <laughs> that weekend as well. It was really fucking great, man. I, I really want to make it back over that festival of Paul and Alan and the, the whole crew was just so, so damn friendly. And mm. it was cool. There's also, uh, you know, in, in the years between making Sadistic and getting over there to Fright Fest, you know, becoming friends with guys like Joe Begas and Joss Ethier and the Pierce brothers and just a whole bunch sure. of different people that, that I have grown to become friends with here in Los Angeles that also had films there as well. So I just, 2019 in general felt like a really awesome year to, to have a movie that was out there playing along with you know, other friends' movies. Definitely. That's really cool. So um, are you in a position to talk about uh, Sadistic Intentions, the future for it? You know, I, as far as its release overseas, I don't have any firm word on that exactly yet. It's going to be releasing in North America on Valentine's Day, so February 14th. Okay. And I'm not exactly sure when this is airing, but by the time it airs, there's a good possibility that the uh, the, the final trailer and poster will be out and that it'll be available for pre-order on iTunes and Amazon, Google Play, all of those different digital platforms. But hope to have some word here very soon on its availability elsewhere outside of North America. Cool. Eric, where can people keep up with you on social media? Social media, uh, I always forget what the tags are, but <laughs> if you search my name, Eric Pennykoff, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I'm the only one, so it's easy to find me. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so I'm on, I'm on those three as much as, I, as, much as, uh, as much as I am, not as much as maybe I should or other people are, but <laughs> I'm on there. Yeah. Hit me up, follow me, all that. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah, and this was this was excellent. And like I say, I I actually had a, a relatively good time watching it. But Mitch, <laughs> I, I could watch you watch new things all the time. Awesome guys, yeah. Thanks for having me. If there's uh, if there's one thing that I'm good at is vouching for things that maybe others won't vouch for. Hey, this is a blast, man. Thanks a lot. Cheers, man. Thank you. I may never recover from that film. Wow, I'm reeling. Yeah, yeah, you you look glazed. You look like you've been through the wars. Like you've maybe been in a fight. Like <laughs> perhaps you have been in the Mortal Kombat tournament. Yeah. <laughs> a big thank you to Mr. Eric Penikoff, director of Sadistic Intentions, for joining us this week and talking Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Yeah, and if you get the chance, do check out Sadistic Intentions. Yeah, really, really good film. Yeah, really, really good film. Great people involved as well. So I guess we're done. Another one bites the dust. Yeah, resolutely kind of in 2020, back in harness, wheels are turning, good things happening. Yes, I, I'm, I'm all about your uh, optimism here, Mitch. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I've kind of battled into 2020 in a weirdly proactive mood, I think. Do you know what? You're not going to hear any complaints from me. No, it's about time I started pulling away, you know. Hey! We will be back, though, on Monday, of course, with another mini-sode for your ears. Are we doing all the usual stuff there? Yeah, well, will we? Well, we'll be taking a look at what we've been watching. Sure, We sure, will be playing sure. Mitch's pitches, of uh -huh. course. We'll be taking a look at your feedback. We'll be letting you know what you need to know for uh, next week's episode. Yes. And who knows about the Shockwaves 100? Yeah, maybe we'll just, I don't know. If, uh, I mean, realistically, we're not going to have a chance to watch it this week if we're no. going to watch anything together. No, so um, we're going we're gonna to maybe put that on the back burner for a little while and figure that out, because it's a big one. Yeah, I, I really don't want to let the, the Shockwaves... I mean, I know I've moaned and I've bitched about the Shockwaves 100 journey, shall we call it a journey? I think, yeah, let, you know what? You know what? I feel like the word journey is bandied around. I feel like journey is bandied around too much these days, but I think journey is fair. Okay, well, I, I know I've bitched about it, but I have thoroughly enjoyed your learning arc. Yeah, uh, and I think that I mean, it has given me some things to think about and some things that I want to go and follow up a little bit more on and dig into a little bit more. And, and like you, it's given you things that you know for sure that you do not like. Yeah, which is also as useful 
finding people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just don't want to let it pass without acknowledging it. Yeah, or doing some kind, some something kind of to commemorate. But maybe you need a t-shirt. Maybe I should make an I Survived the Shockwaves 100 t-shirt. <laughs> Although I don't know if that would cause issues, legal issues with the guys from Shockwaves. Yeah, we'll have Rob Galooza at our door. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us between now and Monday, there are, of course, loads of ways that you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can email longer considerations, Mitch's pitches, poster submissions, musical interludes, pretty much everything else to stronglanguageviolentscene at gmail.com. We also have a website. Sure do. Strongviolentpod.com, where, as you know, you can find links to all the various places that you can listen. You can also find links to our Tee Public page where you'll find funny little designs, daft things and bits and bobs and trinketry. Um, you can get a few, by the way, I think you can get a baby grow on there, like a strong language violence scenes baby grow. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. If, you're, if you want to do that to your children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know I do. Uh, do you suppose that Tee Public have a sale on right now? Uh, actually, to be honest, I think uh, the year's kicked off in a relatively quiet way on Public. I haven't seen any deals or offer emails coming through. Minimal fanfare. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that'll ramp up again towards the end of the year. No doubt. Yeah, you can also find links and information regarding live shows as and when we announce them, and we're hoping to have some information on that very front for you soon. We are back Monday with another mini-show. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, I'm proud to die immortal like you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Choose your destiny. Flawless victory. Choose your destiny. Flawless victory.
You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.